Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Well, Dad, here we are with another podcast and hope people are enjoying it. And if you are, please hit subscribe. And uh, Dad, you put out a tweet last week with uh, Drew Doughty talking about fighting, and, and let's just have a listen to see what Drew said about fighting. Yeah, I can't make it to the week. Um, we, we need fighting. I know people don't like it, some some of you, but uh, then you're just going to have all those meatheads running around, little guys uh, being rats out there, and that's just the way it's going to go. So uh, we need fighting. Uh, people need to be able to protect their teammates and themselves. And um, Yeah, when it's safe like that uh, and no one gets hurt, that's the best way. I like that Drew Doughty. He's got that million-dollar smile. No teeth in the front. He, he, I don't know why he doesn't wear it. He, you know, you think in an interview he'd put it on and, did you notice he said, you people, uh, to the girl, you better be careful uh, saying that. It's, uh, you can get a lot of trouble, as they say. But uh, No, I've been saying that about fighting all along. And, uh, and if, you don't, if you don't have fighting, your stars won't be protected. And uh, I'll tell you one thing about the fights now. Not as many fights now. The, the Swedes have uh, just about eliminated. But the fighting that they do have now, the guys mean it. I mean, they're throwing them, uh, they're, they, as they used to say in the old days, they throw them from Port Arthur. And, uh, boy, they're pretty good fights right now. Yeah, how about Zdeno Charo? Had two fights back-to-back. He fought uh, Tom Wilson, and then he fought uh, Patrick Maroon. You know, it's a funny thing that uh, guys are fighting Charo now. Have you ever noticed that uh, he doesn't throw guys around like he did McCabe? Remember McCabe for Toronto a few years ago? What happens when you get 34 years old? You get a little conscience. It looks like he doesn't want to hurt guys. I mean, let's face it. If you get in a fight with him, how could you win if, you want, if he really was mean? And uh, I think he was, the only time he's ever in a fight he was really mad uh, was when he fought McCabe. And I remember he threw McCabe around like a doll. And as you get 34 years old, the guys want to get a reputation. It's the old story. You're the best uh, gunfighter in uh, the league, and he is when he wants to be. Uh, everybody wants a piece of you. And you can say, yeah, he fought Chera. What a guy. Imagine, he got a lot of guts fighting Chera. You get over 34, you get a conscience. That's what happens to you. And uh, Did you, when you were, you know, you fought a Well, fight. I fought a lot, and, uh, well, I had to. I wasn't, a, I wasn't as good as uh, Chera. I, you know, I, could, I was okay. But I remember you got, when I, 34, the only time I really got hurt bad is when I got over 30 years old and I had a conscience. Before that, I, you could sucker a guy and get the first couple of men, and you would always win. That's like the guys that are that are winning now. The guys like Brendan Lemieux, he gets the first couple in there. He's going to win all the time. But when he gets over 30, you get a conscience. No, I'll tell you a story. When I knew, I started to get a conscience. Uh, a guy named Mike McMahon. There's a funny story about this one is that he cross-checked me from behind, and I fell into the boards right in front of their bench, and I come up, and he kept on going right over top of when he, I don't know how I did it, but I come up, and I hit him, and I really I knocked the front, all his teeth out in the front. And uh, Dr. Lordy, our doctor, told him that he was about four hours of getting the, you know, they knocked him off of the thing. And, um, I, and I felt, you know, I remember his dad was in the uh, audience. I really felt bad about that. And, you know, his dad in the audience, and I got over 34. And I started to get a conscience. And I always felt bad. I'll tell you a funny story about that one, too. I had Mike McMahon. I, I, when I started to coach, 
I got Mike McMahon had a party at the house. And I said, you know, and I started, you know, all the guys were in the kitchen. That's what usually happens when you, you have a party. The wives are in the living room and the guys are in the kitchen. I said, you know, you got to get the first one in. And I remember Mike, he, he said, yeah, I know all about that, Grapes. And he had a plate in the front and a thing like that. But you do get like a chair. He gets over 34. I don't even think that he wants to fight. He, guys that want to fight, they want to get a good name. Hey, I fought Chera the other night, but uh, you lose that little fire. But I'll tell you, guys like Brendan Lemieux and guys like that, when they're in a fight now, and it's the old story, Drew Doughty is right. If you want to protect your stars, you have to have a tough guy. Now, I see guys running, uh, and I hate to say it, I hate to see guys running Matthews. I see guys running uh, Traveris and uh, Nylander. These guys in Toronto, they're not protected. I think they've had one fight. I think Dermot had one fight. It was a death strip. He had a good death strip on a guy. And you'll go nowhere in the playoffs. I don't care. If you, 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 your stars get run. You, you go nowhere in the playoffs. All you have to do is look at St. Louis. St. Louis, and again, I mentioned what they did. Saint, at San Jose had a pretty good club. But all of a sudden, Hurdle's out, uh, Pavelski's out, and Carlson's out. And, they, and uh, Barubi said the same thing. Don't worry about penalties. We'll take care of it. And that's what, and you go into the playoffs, you have, to have, you have to have those tough guys because it is war in the playoffs. You know, Tim, I have to tell you a st- story. Why, they, why the instigator rule is in right now. And the instigator rule was put in by owners who had no idea what was going on in the game. I forget, I think, I forget the president, Gil Stein, I'm not sure. It wasn't, it wasn't the present day. And what happened was that they put the instigator rule in. They said they did not want the, uh, the, uh, the, the tough guys picking on the stars, which was the exact opposite. Tough guys never, ever... You never saw Probert ever run at uh, or guys like that. You never see a guy, Brendan, and guys that lead the lead. You never see them going after the, the, the stars. They always go after the other tough guy. And this was put in by owners who the nurse they ever wanted to, to ice was in their drinks. And I, I have to say, the instigator rule is the worst rule that ever put in. Because, if you, for instance, your star gets run. And you go after the guy, and a cheap, your star gets cheap shot. You go after the guy, and you grab the guy and straighten him out. You get a two-minute minor, a five-minute major, and a ten-minute misconduct. And the guy that started the whole thing gets a five-minute major. And you're out, of, you're out of the game. And there's, there's nothing you're going to say, well, why don't they take it out? They can't take it out. Because if they ever took it out and somebody got hurt, they would say, there you are, taking, you're putting violence in the game, taking the instigator out. The instigator rule is the worst rule ever put in, but they can't take it out because the press would get on them if they did. Well, one of the guys that fought chair was Tom Wilson, and he's got a... Well, you know what I think of Tom Wilson? This guy can... That's why they give him a five-year contract. Now, if you remember when they won the Stanley Cup, if you touched any one of their stars, he went absolutely bananas. I mean, he's got a five-year contract. I think he's making about five-something. Uh, and because they know his value. Now, Tom Wilson's got 11 goals. Believe it or not, he's got four game winners, which, you know, I mean, that's pretty good. And I'll tell you another funny thing is Ovechkin got 20 goals. He's minus four, which is, you know, it's hard to believe a guy gets 20 goals. He's minus four. I'm going to give you all little things like that. And, you know, everybody's talking about uh, Carlson. John Carlson should be the Norris, and he should be right now. But I'll tell you a guy that's coming on pretty good is Weber right now. 
Got a lot of game winners. He's a tough guy. He throws them pretty good. Uh, Tom, uh, Weber is a guy to me. Uh, Carlson's going to have to keep it up. Pretty, I mean, he's shooting the puck. He's hitting skates and going in. I'm not knocking Carlson. I like him, but I like that Weber. That poor Montreal again the other night. 42 shots to 17, and they lose 2 nothing. And and Price in the net. I mean, I, that's the thing that gets me. And and you take the Leafs. They won They won uh, two games over the weekend, both the times out shot. I mean, if you don't have a goaltender, you're going nowhere. It's the old story. I've said it in the first time. I was a, I was a genius in Boston and a chump when I had Hardy Astrum in, in Colorado. If you don't have a goaltender, you're done. And, and, you know, as far as Anderson, everybody in the Leafs are talking about Anderson. He seems to be the focal point. The press has convinced him that he cannot play he cannot play back-to-back game. Ridiculous. They used to play three and four and five. I remember Eddie Johnson, not that you'd ever do it now, but he used to play every game. He played every game in the, in the, for Boston Bruins. You're telling me that he can't play back-to-back game. I do, I do what Keith's doing. I'd play him every game. I'd make the playoffs and then worry about the I'd, I'd worry about the playoffs later when it started. But you got to play him. I'm not not and, and again I go into Hutchison and a backup. Every time a, a Toronto Maple Leaf backup goes in, he's got a gun to his head. He's got to play a great game. He can't relax. If he has a bad game, they say, "Oh, there he is again." They lost again without Anderson. Anderson to me is the best goal, one of the best goal, maybe the best goaltender I've ever seen. That he has caught, and you're going to say, "Well, it's only a couple of shots." He's outshot a couple of shots. He keeps, how would I say, he keeps him in the game more than any goal. He gets a lot of cold turkey shots. Cold turkey walking in, cold turkey. And you don't, when the goal scores on him, it's, it's a, it looks like an accident when it goes in. That's the kind of guy, goaltender, boy, they must have a lot of confidence when they go into a game. You know, it's a funny thing, Tim. I was looking at the record the other day, and I, I remember Harry sitting in the office one time. I never kept stats like this. And I remember sitting across the desk, and he said, you know, we scored 300 goals again. How do we do it? I said, I don't know. And we did. I think it was five years in a row we scored over 300 goals. And I was looking in the stats of that and having fun. The last 10 years, only two teams have scored over 300 goals. And I'm not going into that again. I know a lot of people did. I talk about it. I, I'm so proud that uh, we had 11 guys score over 20 or more goals. Think about that. Every, every line you put on, uh, was a goal scorer, and our, I think our, our leading goal scorer was 43. Another thing I was looking at, we never won one trophy the whole time we were there. We never, the whole time was there only Jack Adams, I hate to say it, coach the year. And another thing that we had, we didn't have anybody in the top 10 in the scoring. That's what you call a team, and that's how you win. And when you get into the playoffs, we made the finals or the semifinals every year because any line you put on could score goals. And you know when you, and you know when I look at Edmonton, they got two guys. The over the weekend, they didn't perform against the Leafs. They were minus two, I think, to both of them. And when they don't perform, you don't win. And you can't win in the playoffs. All you have to do is put a checking line out there or a line against them to hold them off, and you're dead. You have to have a team concept. You and never really match lines. The only only Marcotte on Lafleur. That was it. I only time I had I I never matched lines and I'll tell you why. As you go on, if you're if you're if I like kickity poo kickity poo kickity poo, let the lines go. If you say to a line as they go, oh hold it, hold it, just as they're going, 
The other line puts out there, you're telling, you're telling that line it's not good enough to check. Once, and you know, and the guys that play hockey, uh, peer hockey or whatever, if you're, if you're a coach or if you have a coach say, hold it, don't go on, there's a good line going on, that means you can't check. I had every guy that go out there, of course I had a, I had a and everybody knew it, but nobody said it, I had a guy, say Lafleur went out, every time Lafleur was on the ice, a guy named Donnie Marcotte, who won, should have won the Selkie. I mean, ridiculous. He got 20 goals, and, and, he, and he checked, too, and he had to check Lafleur. Ganey always won. Uh, I remember the, the Russian guy saying that he was the best hockey player in the world. He's a good hockey player, don't get me wrong. But Donnie Lamarck used to get 20 goals and, and check Lafleur. You have to have a guy like Le, 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 Donnie Marcotte. He never, ever got the credit he deserved. But when, you, when a guy went on, but you can't have, you can't say to a line, hold it, don't go out there, there's a good line out there, we can't, you, can't, you can't check. Everybody knows as a hockey player, and I remember this here, kickity-poo, kickity-poo. When the lines go out, they knew they were going out, they knew they could check, and they knew they did a good job. And they were in good shape. That was a good thing. I remember Terry O'Reilly, I read in the paper, or I remember, I forget where you I... You said it on a couple of podcasts ago. You oh, you did? About, talked about it. We knew they were in better shape than the other team. Yeah, team has to be in shape. You have to... But again, I go back to this. Ram, I'm on a rant here. You have to have a good goaltender. If you don't have a good goaltender, you've got nothing. And I had, at one time, I had three of them. I had three good goaltenders. You know, I had Ronnie Graham, who come from the WHA. He was the best goaltender in there. I had Jilly Gilbert, who, uh, who won 17 games in a row, a record that's still stands. And I had Jerry Cheevers, who won, I think he went undefeated in 32 straight games. Oh, another thing while, while I'm talking here, they, they, so we had the two goaltenders, we had the three goaltenders, so we traded uh, our number one for a number one draft choice. You know who the number one draft choice was? Ray Bork. You don't get a better, you don't get a better number one draft choice than Ray Bork. Dad, we're going to talk a little bit about referees. So who was the best ref that you ever played with or coached with? Well, the guy, the guy I thought John McCauley was the best referee. And uh, I remember I was coaching in Rochester, and he was just starting out. He was a ref, young referee. And I don't know what I, why I looked up in the right, way up in the top of the – I saw this guy throw an egg. And I watched the egg, and John McCauley was, was uh, leaning on the, the goalpost at the end there. And I saw him coming. I said, this guy can't hit the referee from there. And this egg went all the way down and hit him right on the head. What a shot. A hundred to one shot. And so now he comes over and I, the egg's all over him. And I thought, uh-oh, he's really going to give it to me, get this crowd in control and all stuff like that. And, and he come over and he just added a Mattel. And he said, nice shot, eh? I knew he was a good guy. And then, you know, he was a, he was a great referee. He always, he always could control the game. And I remember Gary Doak really got zinged in uh, – Broke his cheekbone and everything in Detroit, and and he, and uh, Ron Hextall hit him. Yeah, Hextall hit him. Yeah, was, hey, he turned back. He deserved it. But uh, heck, well, we followed Hextall all the way through, and every 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 game he had, he had a fight with one of our guys. I never told him that he really Hextall did a number on me. I never told him that. Maybe they knew, but but I remember the last game that Stan uh, Jonathan had a fight with Hextall, and Stan Jonathan got a two-minute minor, five-minute major game misconduct. He got the life almost, and and Hextall got nothing. So I hollered at Macaulay, 
what happens here? You win a fight, you get the life. He said, that never happened to you, did it, Jerry? So anyhow, he was a great guy. Um, he could control the game. Now, and you say, how, it is not good for a referee to control the game. It is a good. I always like the one referee, and I'll tell you why. First of all, the two referees. If you have one referee calling on one side, calling a million penalties, and the other guy doesn't call any penalties, then they look at stats, oh, this guy's not doing his job. One referee controlled the game, and I'll tell you how he controlled the game. When we get up three or, we get up three or four goals, we start getting penalty after penalty after penalty because he did not want us to run up the score because if we ran up the score, you know there's going to be trouble. And Macaulay, one time I said, John, after five penalties in a row, I said, that's enough? He said, yeah, that's enough for tonight. He w- and, you know, he was, a ref- he, he was a great referee, and unfortunately he was having a, a, a pop in a bar, and a guy, uh, a fan went up, I think it was a Russian game or something like that, and uh, hit him in the eye, and that was the end of his career. I mean, that was a tough guy, tough way to go out, and he was made referee-in-chief. He was a referee-in-chief when uh, Schoenfeld uh, with Koharski. Remember when, uh, I forget where it was, and anyhow. New Jersey, New Jersey. So was have New another Jer- donut. Yeah, I was, yeah, have another donut, you fat pig. He was hollering like that. He helped Koharski because he lost a lot of weight. I remember that was a game. I was standing right in the middle of the whole thing. I was all dressed up. And I remember the guy who was in charge come up and he said, are you the singers? But anyhow, and McLean got a big kick out of that one. I, you know, I was all dressed up. But I remember McCauley ran the game. They had uh, two. Well, amateur. the referees got mad. And they went on strike. They went on strike, strike and, and they, they wouldn't got... go back in and, uh, because uh, of what they did to, to Koharski. And uh, they wouldn't go back on the ice. And... Uh, uh, they got two two amateur referees, and he ran the game. Macaulay actually ran the game from the penalty box, telling them what to do. That that's the kind of guy he was. I, I think the players kind of respected John enough that they didn't. They, there was kind of a controlled game that they they knew he was in a bit of a pickle, and they they kind of yeah, behaved I've, themselves. Yeah, they they behaved themselves in the game, and uh, I rem, I remember they asked Ron McLean to co- uh, referee that game. A lot of people don't realize that, and he he turned it down. Should have, I guess, but anyhow, <laughs> won't get it out. But uh, that game, he was the guy, that was the kind of, he was always, I remember one time, I really give it to one of his young referees in Calgary. And he, I was sitting at the desk, my desk, and uh, and he came in drinking a coffee, and I thought, oh, now I'm really going to get it from the referee in chief, eh? Because now I'm already for trouble, let's get ready, and I'm ready to go. And uh, he came in, he just stirred the coffee, he said, well... I have, this is John McCauley talking. He's, well, I have a young referee. He says he's thinking of retiring. When Grapes really gives it to him on television, national television, I think, and he, he knew how to play me. He knew how to play everybody. And God love him. He, he had, I don't know what was wrong with him, but he, he, he should have, he should have, I, maybe I, this is my personal opinion. He, he, had, he had an operation. He should have went to Toronto and, he died, and he died young. He was, and he was great at lacrosse. He loved lacrosse, eh? And uh, Vic, uh, what is it, Victoria Salmon Bellies or something. He loved lacrosse. He thought lacrosse was a better sport. And uh, he, he's the best referee I ever saw. And uh, he, he, anytime we had trouble, we always had trouble uh, in Philadelphia. It was him and Wally Harris, I think. They, they always had two referees. I think it was Wally Harris. It used to be, it used to be because they knew there was going to be trouble. And he knew how to control a game. He was a, he was a great guy, the best referee I ever saw. One of the refs you seemed to have a lot of trouble with, Dad, was Ron Wicks. 
Yeah, Ron Wick says, I don't know whatever happened, but he did not like me. He did not like the Boston Bruins. I remember one time we were coming off on the island, and Harry, I never forgot this, that Harry was standing, leaning on a big garbage pail, and all he said was, nice game, Wixie, and he said, two-minute minor. I said, wait a minute, I'm going behind him. I'm walking behind Wait a minute, you can't give us a two-minute minor. I went in the dressing room, and I said, look, we got a penalty. we got to kill this penalty. I didn't tell him who scored it. But I remember I got in deep trouble with Wicks in Pittsburgh. And in Pittsburgh, you had to cross the ice to get to the dressing room. And I remember he called a penalty and everything. And he was over at the referees. Uh, he was over at the, the penalty box and giving the breath, you know, at the end of the... And I started to run at, and I, I couldn't stop. And I <laughs> I couldn't stop sliding. Bang! And I went right into him and knocked him. I was in deep trouble again. And he reported to the National Hockey League. And I got a call from uh, a Diane uh, again, and uh, he, she made it your wait, and I, and I knew I was in trouble. And he said, and, and Mr. Campbell used to come on, the president of the league, explain yourself, uh, please. And he used to say please all the time. Explain yourself, uh, uh, your actions in Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, and I went on. And said, he said, that's the most feeble. And Harry said, got, and he was less, that's the most feeble excuse I've ever heard in my life. You know I got to say something about Mr. Campbell. And you notice I say Mr. Campbell, that uh, everybody called him Mr. Campbell. He, I guess he was, in the, he was in Nuremberg trials and the whole deal. He was a lawyer. And I remember a long, long time ago, and I think it was a good idea. They stopped it now. You used to have the president of the league, and they had about 60 guys around, a big round table. They had the general managers and the, and, and the, floor, and the, the coaches were all around the outside. I said it was about 120 people there, and and um, I think it was a great idea because the president could express his feelings to and you know you'd, he, the guys around the outside never said anything, but the general managers, the assistant general managers, the 60 guys around the inner table used to do all the talking. So he he was getting old by then, and he had to go to the washroom. So he said, "Time, time, ten minutes." So he got up and he started, He wasn't walking too good, and he walked, and and I and we're all sitting there quiet. Nobody said a word. But Mr. Campbell, he was really respected, and he came to me and he stopped. I was happy. Oh, I said, he's really going to give it to me, and he turned to me. And the only guy and I it was quite an honor. He turned to me, his young man. Oh, I said, here I am getting in trouble. He says, are you keeping out of trouble? And I said, yes, Mr. Campbell. He says, good, keep it up. And he shook my hand and kept on walking. Yeah. And when he walked out of the room, everybody looked at me. And, and I couldn't believe it. And I always remembered Mr. Campbell uh, shaking my hands like that. And, he, you know, he was, you know, well, that, I, I always remembered that. I remember I was, Mom and I were sitting at Boston Garden. And Mom looked about three rows behind us. And, and he was, Mr. Campbell was sitting there. And I looked up. And Mom goes, there's Mr. Campbell. And I looked up. And she sees the president of the league. And he, so mom said, well, go up and say hello. So I said, uh, no, I, I didn't much. no, go up and say hello. So mom made me go up between periods and he's sitting there and I go, hello, Mr. Campbell. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Tim Cherry and I didn't make the connection. And he goes, um, he says, hello, young man. And he goes, uh, I go, uh, my dad's Don Cherry. And he, he just kind of shook his head. And then I said, uh, my dad wanted to know if you got the check he sent you for the fine. <laughs> and he started to laugh. He says, yes, you can tell him I got it. Thank you very much. <laughs> he, was, he was quite a man. 
Hey, he was like Eddie Shore. He wasn't very big, but he commanded respect. Yeah, I had uh, Dennis Morrell. He was another referee I seemed to have a lot of problems with. Uh, I remember it was in many, and uh, he, he suspended Terry O'Reilly because Terry O'Reilly threw his gloves. You can't throw the glo- throw the, both gloves at the referee. And I wouldn't put the players on the ice. I don't know, for some reason, I must have been nuts back in those days. And he says, I'm forfeiting the game unless you put your players on the ice. He says, well, forfeit the game. What do I care? We're losing five, we're losing five one. And I finally put them on. But I remember I, I did, used to always have trouble with Dennis Morrell. You know, I remember one time in St. Louis we were, we were playing and uh, Brian Lewis was giving us three or four penalties in a row or something like that. And it was a big scrum on the ice. And I reached back like a fool and I grabbed this water bottle and it was a big water bottle and the, and the guys had taken the top off. And I threw it and I thought, what have I done? If it ever hit a player on the ice or if it ever hit a player on the head, it would have broke his neck. And it bounced and hit him on the leg. So I know, I, oh, you can't do that. So I let on, I was talking to a player, mm-hmm. and, and I, I come over and he looked, at, he looked over at me and I thought I was safe. And I look around and all the St. Louis fans were pointing right at me like that. Oh, I tell you, it was really something. And I think the funniest one that had ever happened with the referee was Dave Newell. And um, I was giving it to him. I, I, used to, I used to be able to walk along the boards. They used to be colorful like that. Remember, you and I went to the, uh, used to go to the Yankee game. We just see Billy Martin. And uh, anyhow, I, I used to, it was pretty colorful and all that. And the referees would let you away with a little bit of it. And I remember I was giving it to Dave Newell. All of a sudden, he called, time out, time out. And he come over, and I said, oh, yeah, you're going to give me trouble, eh? So I got down in front of the bench, and I'm ready for trouble. He come over, and he poked me in the chest. And he said, that's the sharpest suit you've ever worn. And on television, I said, there's Dave Newell setting Don Cherry straight, and the players were killing themselves. The only time I was ever speechless. But, you know, when I played... The sharpest guy who really controlled the game was Red Story. And I remember when I was just a rookie, I was playing, and, and he come up behind. This is how they used to do it. They used to control the game. Do that again, number two. And he never, never mentioned your name. He just mentioned it. Do that again, number two, and you'll get a high-sticking penalty. And they control the game. You never did anything against Red Story. And I think he had a game in, I think it was in Chicago, and I remember he was on the grapevine. He tells a great story. This is hard to believe, folks, but listen to this. Eight years are there, 2,000 games you did. You're a Hall of Famer, but you remember April 5th, 1959. That must have been in Chicago. It was. It was in Chicago, and I'm lucky I'm here. Tell us about that game. Well, the thing is, you got to realize Chicago had been in the bottom of the league for years, and Montreal had been to the top of the league for years, and all of a sudden they've got Ted Lindsay from Detroit and Glenn Hall from Detroit and they got uh, Litzenberger from Montreal, a few more. They, they got six players into Chicago to build up the team. And they're, now they're in the semifinals and uh, it's the sixth game against Montreal, the winner to go into the final. And uh, they got 20,000 people in the building. They used to say 16, but there was 20. And uh, it's a great game, uh, really a fabulous game. You couldn't hear it. Both, all three officials had to blow the whistle to stop the play. You couldn't stop the play. And what happened was it's a very close game. And Eddie Litzenberger, who was a big guy like me, and they're one of their leading scorers, he comes waltzing out of his own end. And Marcel Bonin from Montreal puts his stick flat on the ice in front of him to trap the puck. And Big Litz, who was as awkward as I was, he steps on the stick. And he goes up in the air. 
and all the, all the Chicago team are stopping. They quit skating, and they're waiting for me to call a penalty. There's no penalty. Step in the guy's stick. I can't give a penalty. Before they get their senses back, Montreal score a goal. Now there's a little bit of a disturbance. <laughs> slightly, slightly, slightly. Because they can see their chances of going to the final are sort of slipping. We're in the third period now. Yeah. Now, right, oh, it took us maybe uh, 20 minutes to get the game started again. How about, how about tell us about uh, Todd. Doug Harvey. Well, how about Todd Sloan? For, yeah. First of all, during this episode, there's only one episode. Oh. First, first of all, <laughs> I, go to, I go to drop the puck for the face-off. And somebody says, look out, Red. And I turn around, this guy's running out in the ice with a pail of beer. And he throws it right in my face. And I, I grab him. And Doug Harvey grabs from the other side. And Doug knew me. And he knew my th And he could see. He says, Red, you can't hit a fan. You can't hit a fan. He goes, bing. He, he hits him. the guy. He dings it. And he knows I'm still going to hit him. So he says, Red, don't hit a fan. Don't hit a fan. Bing! He hits him again. And the guy's staggering off the ice, you know. And now Doug's the only guy on the ice with me. Everybody was hiding either in the nets, beside the board, where the glass. No, they threw everything. Chairs, bottles, everything. And I, I got to center ice. I figured any guy that's going to hit me is going to have to have a good arm. And, uh, but Doug stayed with me. And Doug stayed with me. And all of a sudden he says, look out, Red. A guy jumped the, the screen from the other side. It was screen in those days. And he jumped me in the back, and I saw his shadow, and I ducked, and I flipped him in the air. As he's in the air, Doug cut him for 18 stitches. I tell you, man, you did that now. I bet a guy never come on the ice again. Hey, I got news. Nobody came on the ice. After that. Now the game is over. This is a funny. The game is over. You remember Danny Lewicki? Sure do. Danny Lewicki was a good friend of mine. They were all good friends of mine. Believe it or not, the, the only friends that a referee has in the world is the guys he's controlling on the ice. They, if you're fair with them, they're on your side. Anyway, the game is over, and uh, Danny comes to me, and he says, Red, here's my stick. You're going to need it now more than I do. <laughs> and this, this true story, you come out at the end of the rink, you know, and you go down those oh, stairs, yeah, eh? Tough stairs. And there's a row of seats right there. And these were six hoodlums right there. And I got loose for you. I opened up the whole six of them with a stick. I just cleaned house. Because if I, I don't go down those stairs if I don't clean them out first. Boy, hockey was great back in those days. Well, Tim, we can't top that one. And uh, Red Story, he was one of Canada's greatest athletes. I, and uh, we've got to do some more stories on Red Story. Well, I guess we don't have time to talk about Rock'em Sock and how it got started and why it ended the whole deal. We'll do that next week. <laughs>